And we're on the air with the money game. Hi, uh, this is Ron Gramberg. I am here with Rob Bell, a client. I am a money manager, and we're here to discuss all things financial and economic. Yes, and there's a lot going on uh, in the market uh, right now, of course. Uh, extreme optimism continues to uh, pummel the huge drop in uh, April when, it, when the Dow lost 1,500 points and then it completely revived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people think it's going to go to 30,000, Ron. It's going to go to 30,000? Is this the time to buy into the market? No, I'll answer that with an absolute no. Um, hope does dissipate very slowly, especially at um, at a market type top that uh, took almost 10 years to get here. Um, so what we have is, you know, we have all sorts of propaganda on all mass media uh, platforms where the large uh, firms are pumping out their marketing content and trying to get people to continue to put money into financial assets. Um, this is... Uh, Wouldn't the prudent thing be for pe- for them to say, you know, take some money out, put it in cash right now to weather the storm coming? Wouldn't that be like the more responsible thing to do? It would, but that's not how they make their money. They make their money by uh, getting the public to buy a whole bunch of uh, newly um, brought public corporations, IPOs, IPOs. Uh, and they also, you know, make tons of feeds off of uh, all the assets that they manage. Um, and they certainly don't want that to stop. When that stops, a whole bunch of them get laid off, and their bonuses go from very, very large to very, very small. That's a bad thing for them. So, you know, it's funny because people think and they always say that the stock market is always looking ahead six months and no. it's refla- reacting to the future predictions. But what you're just saying now is they only think they only see till the next quarter to make sure that they make money. Yeah, but it, it's the, the stock market is if you, you if you want to say what the stock market is, it's really the um public it's the herd's valuation of productive means at this given moment so the herd is not really thinking it's more like you know a, a, it's more like the zombie horde from walking dead that are um you know the the only the only part of their brain that's actually functioning is the brain stem that controls herding behavior and the aggregate of investors right now, that herd is a walking zombie horde that, um, and there's segments that are go, you know, recklessly into Bitcoin and other uh, segments recklessly into the high quality stocks or then recklessly into new technology companies. And they have sub herds and, and they are all herding. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's no one's looking ahead towards earnings because if they did that right now, they would be a scattered herd. They would be scared. Um, the, the narrative is what the, what they talk about on television. What are, what is this herd of this unthinking herd actually thinking or feeling? And it's mostly feeling it's feeling greed. That's what it's feeling right now. It's not feeling fear. There will be moments where, you know, more, most recently the plunge from September 21 high in 2018 down to December 26, that plunge was an expression of fear. And and um, and, and it's like it never happened now. People don't remember that, that fear. Uh, that's right. It's completely gone. And they, 
they're because the emotional there's 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 no cognitive function within the zombie herd. They're not thinking, they're feeling. So right now they're completely caught up with the market that came out of that January 26 plunge and took off like a rocket ship. That caused contagion and of course mainstream media with their constant you know, um, marketing content, you know, you know, you know, furthers along that contagion of, uh, uh, and it sucks other unthinking people in. And these are usually at the end of the cycle, these are the, these are the people that understand the least the app and they're finally committing themselves 100% to this, this, um, you know, this stock market and they are going to be the final bag holders because they, they don't understand why they're getting in. It's an emotional, it's a feel thing, and they're certainly not going to be able to get out because on the way down, they're going to think, oh, I got to get out when it breaks even, so it's going to bounce back up. Or it's going to bounce up because it does that. For you know, for for years now, it keeps it, it's um, every time it dips, that's a buying opportunity. It always comes back. It, 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 so everybody's going to buy right back into the market when it dips again. I mean, that's what's been happening for years. It is. And so that, what's the difference? I mean, well, why, isn't it all about what people are doing? I mean, don't they make their own reality? If the people buy into the market, then it'll go back up, right? It's not independent. The the herd um, eventually breaks apart. I mean, every single cycle. Upward cycle breaks apart. And there's always a dip that people will like this. This last dip here, probably history will um, describe it as the bull trap. So basically, the the overly bullish people at the top they went whole hog into this, and they, that's why we got this explosive uh, upward retracement of a bear market that's already in. It's already begun. Now, Harry Dent, right? Is his name Harry? Harry Junior. Harry yes. Dent Jr., who um, talks about cycles a lot. Right. Um, he talks about how, you know, the baby boomers had an impact on on purchasing and um, age, you know, is a cycle and everything's a cycle. And so all of his predictions are that there's going to be a massive crash on the on the 90-year cycle that he talks about. It's very interesting to read. But he just came out with a video a couple of days ago about how we're in a dark window right now. And actually, the, the, the Dow is going to jump, spike fast up to like 30 or 31,000. And now's the time, believe it or not, to buy, even though you know that it's going to crash like crazy if you're bold and you can make a lot of money in the short term by buying into the market. Well, what do you, because I know you're a Harry Dent fan. Well, what do you think I, of this? I, he wrote a couple of good books. I, I don't subscribe to his stuff um, or the the stuff that he he uh, has licensed his name to. to um, but he, you know, he his his books are worth reading, especially because they're well written and um, and easy to understand. Yeah, for the layman, right? And um, but this this sounds more like he's lending his name to some. Buddy that has a product or a solution, and somehow that retail can make money off this last this 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 move up. But he's also putting his reputation on the line. Yeah, people have a very short memory <laughs> about people. Jim Cramer is still around today, um, but I've never I've read. I've read virtually every single book ever written on investment management. I've never come across the term dark window. I think he made it oh, up. I think for he the, made it up. Yeah. yeah. But that's okay. He, he's licensed to make it up. But the, but his, Especially if it comes true. Now, there's going to be a final move up. I mean, every, and every, every, 
every intermediate cycle, there's going to be a swing high moment at the top where the cycle up then starts coming down. And you can see an actual spike coming up. What he's referring to has already occurred. It occurred on January 26th, 2018. And that was a throw over out of the channel. We're not getting out of the channel. We're now 18, 19 months later. And we're at the same height essentially as where 2018 was. So, um, you know, we're definitely not getting what's referred to as a throw over because we're too far from the, the bottom of the, from the upper, uh, uh, channel line. Um, so it, we could get something. I don't he think it's going to break out of the channel. Ew, he says it's going to shoot up. I mean, that's never been a 30 with 31,000 yeah. in history. So it's going to shoot up, break all kinds of rules in one final magnificent optimistic jump. No, well, it's not happening this time. And then, <laughs> and then he says, you better get the hell out. And that's the problem with trying to figure out where the top is. You, yeah, could, get, you could get burned very easily if you don't get out right. quick enough. That's why I wouldn't do it. But, yeah, I mean, that's what he's saying. Well, it's a contagion move, essentially. There's going to be, um, you know, I, there's going to be some kind of move that finishes this thing off. Maybe, um, uh, but I wouldn't bet anything on it. You know, the best thing is to position yourself of hard defensive at the moment because um, in any fleeting upward move, so few participants are actually going to um, be able to, one, uh, capture that, and two, hold on to it because it's going to be like a f- you know, it's going to be like uh, the theater is on fire and all the exit doors just shrank to the size of a mouse hole. Getting out, so you might, it, you might ride it up there, but then, geez, in, on um, October 19th, 1987, you had a 22% down day. And that was preceded by the Friday before that was a 10% down day. And then the, the day following that, it went down another 10% percent before it started the the, the shoot right, back so up cumulative 40 percent or something you, down. you know uh now maybe you know what and now that was a throw over in 1987 which broke out of the channel and then it started hiccuping and, and that was a much condensed uh time horizon before it like then splintered and and, and shot down same thing happened in 1929 with that throw over um uh, I would not, I would not try to play any upside here. Just, you know, you want to sleep at night, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the markets are open at night. So at 615, you know, you think the U.S. stock market's closed, but they just, the futures just opened up and the rest of the world is, is trading, um, U.S. futures, S&P futures. Right. So just, so just because so the crash a, can happen overnight. It's just a tw- because right now it's a 26, 650, for example. Doesn't mean that when you wake up in the morning, it isn't at 14. Yeah. I it, mean, it could happen while you're asleep. While and, the market's closed, it would open at 14. In the last, in this last 12 months, at least, the um, the opening gaps are of a magnitude that has never existed before in the financial markets. So the markets open up, you know, sometimes they open up 150 points up. Sometimes they're opening up 150 now. down. That's not normal? I mean, that's, that, not, that's not historic? 
No, this has never happened like this before. Mm-hmm. The, the the size of these moves and and the frequency of them uh, of these opening gaps. Uh, th- this is just a hallmark of a market ready to blow apart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's you know people are trying to make money, but they're, they're these are the same type of people who are you know what they're really doing is collecting hazard pay, like if they you know, we're told to go shovel dirt in Chernobyl. You know, you can make $1,000 an hour. You want to go shovel dirt in Chernobyl right after the nuclear explosion? You know, you're risking your life, you know. Right. In the long term, you're dead. Right. And very quickly. Yeah. Um, There's plenty of people want to... Is that how you think it's going to go down, by the way, with the crash? Do you think we're going to wake up to the crash, or do we get the excitement of watching it crash on real time? Um... It, it it the crash is first thing is gonna it's gonna be it's gonna occur over multiple days. Oh, of course, so yeah. it, it's gonna you know. But it, I remember I mean, I'm old enough to remember you know other crashes where you know you're watching it go down you know in real time. Well, you actually won't see it go down. You'll it'll gap down. It'll like be at one price and then the next tick will be like 15 points below it. So it'll be at 100 and in a, a bop, microsecond bop, bop. later it's going to be at 85. Then it's going to be at 76. Right. And then it might and don't sputter. Don't they close the market then? If this too much too rapid. Uh the rules are I think if it's down 10% they then shut it down for a half hour, open it back up. And then if it falls another 10%, they shut it down for 15 more minutes. But if you get to the last hour, they don't shut it down. You know, if it's falling in the last, they'll just leave it open. Yeah. Um, and is that, is that because they want people to reset their computers because they have like cell orders? No, I is think. Is that it, a recent thing? The, 1987, um, after 1987, uh, some people who don't understand financial markets decided it might be a good thing if we shut the market down periodically during uh, free falls. Uh, maybe give some time to call their brokers, have longer conversations, reevaluate what's going on. But all the shutting it d- down does is just scare the bejesus out of everybody. You know, and it's not—it's not like you could actually make at that point. You can't save your money during right. that fifteen-minute window who, because who, everybody is right. And who's to get actually that mouse hole? And who's actually going to advantage from that shutting down? The people closest to the systems, you know? Who have the fastest computers, right? And who are like to get the priority. And have the best, you know, best information at the moment. I think it's a terrible thing ever to shut the the, the markets down because they have to open up again, you know? And Um, historically, what happened when they shut down the market? Did it it, it make any difference? uh, No, it doesn't. Accelerated it? It doesn't make a difference whatsoever. It, it, It causes more fear. You should let these things... Let everybody sell that needs to sell. Let the panic just happen, you know, and let it wash through and everything will be, everything will, you know, happen a lot faster, faster. We'll get through the whole crisis faster. They never shut it down if it's a rapid uprise. No, uptick. no. Maybe they should. That's a that's a very very intelligent observation right there. Yeah. They should. You should. Maybe they should do it then too. The, it's uh, going up too fast, everybody. Stop. Yeah, but all the bank lobbyists are down there. No, no, you can't shut it down now. You know. <laughs> so, do you think Powell's going to lower interest rates? Well, he's going to have already to. already built it into the mark into the. If the, 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 the forecast is that they've already built two or three rate cuts into the. All Powell. Predictions. All the central banks do, and. Um, is follow what goes on in the treasury bill market. So the three-month treasury bill or six-month treasury bills, they lead whatever the, the, the Federal Reserve does. So if those bills fall 25 basis points, say, that gives then um, the, the people on the board of the Federal Reserve 
wherewithal to say, okay, now we're going to cut the Fed rate. They're bringing the Fed rate to match what the market is already pricing, three-month high-quality or, you know, U.S. government-quality credit at. Um, it's They're not leading the market. The market leads them, but they pretend like they lead the market. And everyone behaves as if they're running the show. Well, that's right. Trump says... Uh, Trump's an idiot. Trump doesn't know anything about finance. Trump says Powell should cut the interest rates to boost the economy. That's not true? Uh, well, it just so happens that the three-month... Uh, Treasury bill rate has fallen enough to justify a cut by the Fed, so we're probably going to get one sometime next month. Um, he doesn't, you know, Powell does not want to appear like he is someone's, like, lapdog and, you know, cut rates every time Trump yells at him or the market says do this. There needs to be some kind of, you know, they they want to do what's right. And, you know, they don't want to necessarily make a cut and then have to reverse that you know, cut, say, 60 days later, because then they look like they don't know what they're doing also right. in that way. <clears throat> um, and, and and as I told you before and my other clients, the uh, Federal Reserve is paying interest on um, excess reserves. Um, which is a new thing. Which is a new Relatively thing. Relatively new thing. That's since the last crash. So there's $1.2 trillion. 2008, that went into effect? I think it was 2008 or maybe 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so the banking system... So basically taxpayers are subsidizing the bank. Yes. By paying interest on money that we put into the bank to begin with. Uh, these this are... This is our money to begin with, and then they get they get interest. No, the, this is... this. These are... The, well, banks hold our money, right? Well, the, the reserves that they have, the the, um, the Federal Reserve has been buying bonds, buying 10s and 30s and 5s and 2s and bills from primary dealers, replacing that with, um, you know, dollars, simply dollars, you know, the, the U.S. dollar note um, that doesn't pay any interest. And that's accumulated in the banking system. And they want plenty of liquidity there in case there's a run on the bank. They've taken that excess because they have to hold a certain amount by law called reserves. Anything in excess of that is called excess reserves. And they were not getting paid on excess reserves at the Federal Reserve before. Now so they, they have no incentive to hold it there. Right. But now they have an incentive. Now they have an extra $1.2 trillion sitting there collecting 2.375% as Damn, of that's, that's a good rate. Yeah. And if you go to the bank and you put your, your money in demand deposit, they're going to give you 40 basis points. So that's a fantastic spread. Almost two percentage points, they get to, you know, uh, basically doing nothing, uh, essentially. Um, so are they going to cut uh, eventually? Yes. When the pain to the economy gets so great that all, a bunch of these small businesses um, and all these businesses that have borrowed way too much start defaulting, um, and there's usually a contagion event that happens when all of a sudden all the spigots of refinancing turn off um, and lines of credit get sort of crimped, then you're, you, you have an escalation of uh, defaults. Now, you, the Federal Reserve is going to want to stem the tide of defaults at a certain point because he doesn't want 14% of the S&P 500 defaulting like in one week. So they'll instant they'll do an emergency rate cut and then the creditors will say okay now they're now their borrowings are 
are, are costing him 25 basis points less or a quarter percentage point less or half a percentage point left. Now they got breathing room. So it like delays the, the time of execution for a lot of these companies. Um, but none of these companies, you know, these are all walking, you know, zombie yeah, you said that businesses before, that, that you know, some companies should allow, be allowed they, to go out of business. It's part of a big problem right now because you and have. Isn't that real? What real capitalism is? It's not. This That's is crony. This what is, we're doing. Yeah, a real is, capitalism would be you know you you live or, or die by your right. This is sort of like a hybrid between like European and Chinese capitalism. <laughs> it's so, socialism, isn't it? No, it's a, you, yes, it's socialism for the for wealthy, the yeah. for the rich. Right. Yeah. So it's a crony capitalist system. Do you think um, I want to talk about gold a little bit because sure. gold broke out of its range that it was in, mm-hmm. which I you know. I'm going to take a stab at it. Was it around uh, 1300 Was it that low? Now well, it's up over 1400 although it did drop a little bit, about $35 in the last couple of days. There's this great... Um, What's going on with gold? Is it time to buy gold? Is gold a hedge against the crash coming? Um, is that why people are buying gold now? And is that also why people are buying Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is up... Well, you know, thirty percent in the last uh, month. We'll, we'll talk about Bitcoin. We'll talk about Bitcoin first because I can dismiss this real fast. So Bitcoin is actually shooting up because a lot of institutions have got into this uh, space and they're shorting Bitcoins through the futures market. So they put big shorts on, thinking that Bitcoin was going to crash. And the, but the retail herd, unthinking herd, decided to like come back in on a stampede, forcing these. I say this word loosely, sophisticated institutions or hedge funds to cover their shorts and they're making large losses as they now bid this thing back up. This is a normal bear market rally and all the elements I just described are what creates a bear market rally. So this thing's already petered out. Um, you know, it went up, it went logarithmic. I mean, it just like escalated like uh, like a moon shoot of a rocket and now it's it, Oh yeah, it jumped up twelve hundred dollars in one session. It's down eleven hundred today. Um, so it will ja- form jagged moves up and down as it revisits the low. But there's, it still might go higher. A bear market rally, you know, depending on the forces at play, they need to, those forces need to be exhausted. The, the institutions need to stop covering their shorts, which is causing the, the um, impulsive move up, and, uh, you know, eventually retail is going to run out of money, you know. They, they, they only have, they have a burst of, of money going in. It hits its uh, climax, and then it, then it starts withering. So it's already withering, and, um, but let's go back to gold. Gold is much... Now hold on a second, I just want because uh, I just was fascinated. I, w- I went online uh, to pay my Comcast bill, and they accept Bitcoin. Wow. So Bitcoin is becoming mainstream. Of course, they convert it to cash, right? I would hope so, yeah. I mean, like if you pay for Bitcoin, if you pay, I, I don't know exactly how this would work, but let's say you have Bitcoin, which is volatile, goes up mm-hmm. and down all the time, and then you decide you know, on a Tuesday to pay, you know, the 100 bucks that you owe to Comcast. I guess at that day's market, at that po- moment in time, right, they just cash in the amount of Bitcoin that equals $100. I have no idea. So There's... they're not risking anything, Comcast, because they're immediately converting it to the $100. It's you who's holding on to Bitcoin. Exactly. Who could be making, you know, maybe maybe you made a fortune if the Bitcoin was up 1200 and then you pay your 
your uh, Comcast bill, you know, you just saved, you know, 50, 60 bucks on the bill. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't, you didn't know that, right? Well, I, I didn't realize Comcast would, would do that. Yeah. 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 You know, that's a, that's a novel thing uh, that wasn't available to um, Beanie Babies. When there was the investment craze in Beanie Babies, Comcast wasn't taking Beanie Babies. But as, doesn't that kind of make it legitimate, you know, show that, that uh, businesses think Bitcoin is legitimate? It doesn't matter what Bitcoins think is legitimate or not. They will make stupid decisions. They have made dumb decisions all throughout history, including our federal government. Now, the last person to latch on to a Fed is going to be our government. So if the government ever decides that it's going to you know, take part of Bitcoin, then, it's, then we're absolutely you know at it's the, the end. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that, by the way. I've heard rumors that the, that the government is very interested in Bitcoin. Sure. It's going to give a whole bunch of, uh, maybe a hundred people will get jobs in the federal government running a program collecting Bitcoin and stuff. You know, I mean, the government does really stupid things. Didn't they give like LSD to certain people and study the effects? Oh, they yeah. thought that they were going to use them as like ultimate warriors. Well, they also <laughs> had the military uh, witness uh, nuclear explosion <laughs> to see what would happen to them. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about gold. Oh, by the way, can I just say that, uh, you know, this show is actually live. Today is June 27th, and it's around uh, 12.30 p.m. We're going to be on the air uh, for another half an hour. And if you want to call in, it's 609-460-4673. So uh, if you happen to be listening to the show live, give us a call. We'd love to uh, hear your questions. Right, Ron? I would love them, So yeah. you can talk about gold now. Yeah, gold, um, there's a, uh, an, you know, an ancient um, Asian guru, philosopher that said, if you want to understand where you are, you, have to, you should go back to where you began, your journey. So what, when you think about where gold is right now, you have to go back to, I would say, go back to the peak in gold, which was... Uh, September of 2011. And so it was at like $1,922 or something like that. And it plunged in, and that was a bear market. That was the first leg of a bear market. And it brought us all the way down to December 2015. Did that coordinate with the stock market plunge? No. So they were on different tracks? Yeah, 2011, um, you know, you had to peak in oil around 2008. Uh, and that was also the peak in the commodities generally, uh, including raw materials. Gold peaked uh, in 2011, September 2011, and it fell all the way down to from 1922 to 1046 in December of 2015. Then it bounced and inflected. This is a, what's called a bear market rally. So it, gold has popped up, and then it formed a ch- uh, uh, which is a, a um, a contracting triangle. So it's been pinging around up and down, hitting 1375, falling down as low as like 1180, then up again to 1360 something and down again. And it, the final movement, it came down. And I discussed this briefly in my last quarter's, quarterly report that I sent to my clients, came down just to like maybe 1270 and now it's shot up. So it's breaking out. It broke out of the range. Yes. And um, now, so where does it end? Right. It seems to be over already. (laughs) So they, uh, well, it could be, Um, but 
one thing you learn when you do this long enough that the first upward spike is never the last one. So it doesn't mean that, you know, you know, we're going to have a spike again three months from now. We can have a spike next week and that could finish it off. Um, so it spiked up. So, you, so what you're saying is there's more upside potential in the short run for gold. Potential. Yeah. Potential. It, it could, like, it could be over. Um, but the, the, the reason I don't think it's over is because the Main Street, Main Street media, they haven't come out and gotten all totally gold bulled up. When those people on TV start screaming, oh, my God, you got to get in gold. It's a new bull market. And they all start doing That's the end. Yeah, that, they're not talking about gold that much right. yet. So that's the reason I'm holding on to this. Uh, all they talk about is trade. That's like their big thing. Now, gold also has a bunch of cycles. So there's daily cycles, weekly. And you can see cycles up, comes down, cycles up, comes down. And um, those peaks and then lows, if the lows start, you know, are higher than the previous one, you, you have a bull market movement. So we now have a move down. We had a very, very strong move coming from about 1270 up to 1440, and now we're down to about 1409. So th- this is not over yet. Uh, and who knows how high it's going to go? I do know it's not going to go any higher than probably 1600. Uh, if it starts going through that, um, then I, you have to start thinking, okay, you know, it, then it, if it, it, it's not conceivable that it gets to 1922 because the bear market has not completed yet. And I know that by you need a, we need another leg down, uh, and that's coming. And so what I'm going to do for my clients is get them out as close to the top as I can. Hopefully I don't screw that up. And then we're going to wait for the real bottom in gold. And now this is where another element of analysis is very important. Um, if you look at the history of raw material prices, um, the royal, raw, raw material prices don't include gold. So there's no... Um, you know, autocorrelation going on here. So you have raw material prices hit its peak in 2008, hit a lower peak in 14, uh, a lower peak in 11, and a lower peak uh, in 11, and then a lower peak in 14, and it's falling. There's never been an instance in the history where gold has continued its advance as raw materials have continued to fall into a bear, uh, a bear market. So that means, but there has been a couple instances where gold did make a final upward spurt right before it then latched onto the raw materials trend and then headed low towards its ultimate bear market bottom in unison with commodities. So you have, so <clears throat> um, my understand the way i look at gold right now um it's the long term is governed by where raw material prices are going um and and any movement upward is a final spurt similar to maybe like 1996 and there's a few instances uh in the historical record where gold did have a spike before it succumbed and and collapsed with raw material prices that's about as much as I know on gold at the moment. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and silver is it's like f- kissing first cousin. Yeah, they follow each other, don't they? And copper too. Uh, copper, mm, copper is more a raw material. Um, 
uh, copper has other interesting elements. I don't want to get into that. It's, it's, uh, but yeah. silver will you silver will usually have an explosive move right at the end, where gold is finally making its move up, and everyone is everyone is become a true believer in gold's, you know, endless rise, silver then will take off. And silver's blast off, sometimes, not always, will be a larger move than gold. It would, it would make sense to me, being a layman, that if the market is crashing, that people would shift in their money to gold as a safe haven. You're saying that there's no relationship at all? Yeah, there's too many other people in the world. Remember, the Chinese love gold. And Chinese to Chinese, they're pricing it in their currency. So if their currency is getting weak, they're the gold is going up. Uh, they're having an explosive grow, uh, push up in um, the price of uh, gold at a different time than we are. We are so they're accumulating gold. They're doing their hurting behavior at different a different point. And if you know their currency starts strengthening, you know, and the price of gold to them is falling, they will get out of it. Um, and it also. Gold is, you know, uh, sensitive to uh, to raw materials. Now, there's no causality there, you know, because you can't say there's a causality there, but you can say something is exerting uh, uh, an influence on raw materials and gold at the same time. You just don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> it's very complicated because there's a lot of psychological elements into this. Yeah. Um, and anybody who sits there and says, oh, you know, people on television will tell you, oh, it's about the dollar, you know. Well, the dollar at times will go up and gold goes up. Other times, gold uh, dollar will go down and gold go up. So it might produce a headwind or a tailwind at times, but it's not it's not by itself going to do anything. And also yields. So um, if you look at the five-year U.S. Treasury, Treasury and protected security, inflation protected security, usually when real yields are rising, the price of gold is falling because the one thing you give up when you hold gold is it doesn't earn you any income. It doesn't pay interest or dividend, and there's actually an implicit uh, storage and uh, security cost in there if you're gonna, you need a lot. Right, because it's a physical thing. People steal it from you. Yeah. Right. And also it's a fixed commodity. As opposed to a speculative investment. There's only so much gold. Oh, oh right, right. It, right. Although I'm sure they're still mining it, so it, it increases the, the amount. But it's not like uh, buying, um, you know, buying Beyond Meat because right. you expect future earnings to do something which is not verified. It's, it's right. not verifiable. It's just a feeling. It, it is. It is. The gold is something that you actually can hold in your hand, and there's only so much of it. And you could probably speculate exactly how much is left in the world. You know, you, oh yeah, you know. I think it, I think would f- the, all the gold in the world that's ever been mined would fill one. I forget one or two Olympic-sized swimming pools, and that's it. Now, uh, stuff like you know, to get back to your point, aluminum is you know, there's just so much. There's it's a very abundant uh, uh, raw material, so. Uh, that the price of that is much different than the price of like gold. Cause now if the use of aluminum, if the use of aluminum skyrockets, the price of aluminum will take off, but under conditions where there's just incredible capacity to produce unlimited amount of aluminum, you know, the price could, and you have seen aluminum cl- collapse at times. So what was that chart you sent? That's something to do with gold, isn't it? No. Oh yeah. Uh, Venezuela. 
uh, is a, um, you know, one of the less, one of the worst managed countries in the world, most corrupt. And um, so this guy, Maduro, uh, he has his cronies and sycophants uh, that he has to, you know, give money to. And he needs, you know, the country doesn't produce anything, so it has to buy well, it everything. It used to produce a lot of oil. It was in OPEC. And they have oil. They do, but they've allowed, let all their equipment wither away. They probably killed or imprisoned all the expertise that they have. Uh, and, and all the jobs are held by a bunch of cronies and probably military personnel who don't know how to drill for oil. You know, um, I mean, there's certain jobs out there you just can't learn on the job. You know, you need an engineering degree for, and they're not allowing any Westerners to come in and drill because we're corrupt Americans or corrupt, you know, in their opinion. That started with Chavez, right? Yeah. So it's a basket case, but, you know, he's running his uh, reserves down. I think he has $7.9 billion of reserves, mostly gold, that is used to pay for imports, mostly Hopefully, they're using it to buy toilet paper. I heard there's a big uh, shortage of toilet paper over there for like 10 years. Well, they have runaway inflation also. Yeah, because they just keep just... I mean, print. it's like, it's like, uh, it's like uh, so you can Germany use... where, you, you know, you take like a basket full of money to buy a, a potato, you know? Right. That's an interesting point. Hyperinflation is what happens when too many government liabilities are written... And money is printed for it, you know, and too much debt is underwritten and sold. When the government, like we have a budget deficit right now in the United States, about five two trillion, five percent of 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 of, of our, our our budget deficit, our government budget deficit is five percent, meaning that expenditures exceed receipts by about by five percentage points. Countries get in trouble at 10. So we're at 5%. We're at the top of the cycle. It's normal that the budget deficit explodes by 5 percentage points to the bottom. So we have built in a 10% budget deficit at the bottom, at the bottom of the next recession. Countries fail at 20%. So in other words, what's going to happen to the dollar if if the budget deficit goes to 10%? It becomes worth less? It's not even that. The most important thing is what happens to our debt. Do people not want to finance our debt anymore? They get re- they get a revulsion. You, you know, you're not gonna. You know, as an investment manager, I never would come to you. Oh, you know, how about Zimbabwe government debt? No, you obviously you would know, understand that that's a something you don't want to buy because the country doesn't have the ability to pay the any interest payment and uh and you know principal. and principal about. In, in a currency that is stable, a stable store of value. So you get the bond, the bond market starts to fall apart. And it, it, people start getting nervous around 10% budget deficits. At 20%, you got a serious problem, and the IMF and the World Bank is there trying to force you to cut back expenditures. And you keep that budget deficit there too long, you're going, your, your economy is going to blow up. And if you go to 30 40%, good night. I mean, that's the finish line because um, you literally where's, can't. Where's Venezuela right now? Oh, God. Uh, they, they don't even – they basically are blowing through the reserves. So they got $7.9 billion of reserves left. That's it. That's you it? Know? And that's basically when that withers to zero, 
they got nothing left. Um, you know, they don't even people don't even want to hold the currency in that country. No, it's you're worth even, nothing. It, it it loses value daily. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's the, the probably, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that in Venezuela they use the barter system. Oh, I'm sure they do. By. I'm sure you they know, do. Give me that chicken and I'll give you, uh, you know. A pack piece. of Marlboro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all like, you know. I don't know. They smoke Black Venezuela. market. Because, you know, the, the, the currency. Right. I always like these no good. post-apocalyptic movies where cigarettes are like the, 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 the new Bitcoin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the <laughs> For me, it would be chicken. <laughs> yeah, I like that chicken. Well, I guess water, of course, is you know the ultimate. Mm-hmm. You have to have water, so that that could be a currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned Venezuela. Why? Just as a warning to the United States. With I work. Graph- I, I work, and I don't want to talk too much about this, but I, I I'm a treasurer um, of a nonprofit. Of a nonprofit, yeah. and I'm not paid for it. My volunteer work has me building a budget for their finish line. Because they um, they lost a substantial portion of their uh, funding, they're trying to raise money right now. But um, mm-hmm. you know they have an end date, and uh, they, there's they don't head, get it by that time. And they got you know there's headcount that needs to be cut in them you know before things get too serious. Okay. What else is um, what else is on your mind with the market? What uh, are you noticing right now? Well, well you're, not, you're noticing the the eternal optimism. You tell me, you told me that, but it's not just the herd. The herd is being led yeah. by the pundits. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk. I want to talk to you about tariffs. So, the market doesn't seem to care about tariffs. I mean, we're, we're right. I mean, we're just zooming up. The zombie horde doesn't care about anything intellectual. Um, they basically take their signal from the market. If the market went up yesterday. They feel good. They feel greedy. So um, because you know Trump and uh, Zing Zing Zang Ping are going to have another meeting, but they, you know the the news is that they're not going to reach an agreement. Right. And Trump has already said, because he lies constantly, so you yeah. never know what he's going to actually do. But he said that he would impose more another like three hundred billion dollars, the final three hundred billion dollars in tariffs, mm-hmm. which is only hurting the United States. The, the problem with what they're and, why and the market doesn't react to this. Yeah, the thing is, it 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 you know, there's a whole bunch of import export businesses on both sides of the Pacific Ocean, and these people had livelihoods and relationships that they built up for many many decades, including soybean farmers here in the United States who had long term contracts and relationships. That's all gone. Now the soybean they're sourcing it through Brazil and right, Russia. The, Russia where got is the contracts? The, yeah, where is the the you know where's the adults? You know, it, all Trump has is a, him and his cronies and sycophants surrounding him. You know, and thinking they're going to revive America by doing this stuff. You know, um, and then he bails them out for another fifteen. How much is it? Billion yeah. or trillion? Fifteen billion dollars. Another fifteen billion dollars, which. On the one hand, the government says, you know, we don't have any money. We can't pay for social poor. We can't pay for Medicare. We can't pay for, you know, we have to reduce Social Security benefits because we don't have any money. But on the other hand, they got $15 billion to throw at the farmers with right. socialist relief well, because are, of the impact of their tariffs. Well, because of their voting ability. You know, Trump and the Republicans need those votes. Those are Midwestern states. They want to, you know, win again the next time around. So he's basically spending money, taxpayer money, to buy himself votes or help him ensure that he has votes, which there's but some... The long-term damage is, as you just pointed out, severe. We lost those soybean yep. contracts. 
Yeah. I mean, even if even if he says tomorrow, you know, China, where I'm going to drop the tariffs. You know, thanks a lot. I, you know, we've reached an agreement. That doesn't mean that that uh, China is going to say, oh, in that case, you know, uh, screw you, Putin. We're going to start buying soybeans from the U.S. again. Yeah, but they're not even accomplishing anything because anything that's made in in China could be shipped over to Taiwan and slap a different uh, made-in box on it and then shipped over to Mexico or then to the United States. There's so many end ways to get around this tariff stuff, you know. Um, it, it's a failure on Trump's negotiating skills that they couldn't come up with something to alleviate the worst of, I mean, it just, it, I can't wait until there's a good book written about this absurdity. We have, a, we still have tariffs against Canada, don't we, on steel? Oh, who knows? I think we do. Because mm-hmm. I know my friend, I've spoken about before, my friend has a brewery and they purchased, uh, you know, they purchased steel from from uh, Canada to make the brewer the big, large brewery. Things are all steel, mm-hmm. and it cost them like an extra 50 grand, uh, you know, on an order, because uh, I think we still have steel tariffs in place against Canada. And once again, who's paying the, who's getting screwed? American guy who's trying to open a brewery. Right. Had to pay an extra 50,000. Now, the whole, the whole, the whole problem that you need to fix here is American corporations outsourcing production and hiring immigrants, engineers from India and uh, other H-1B visa people in lieu of hiring more expensive Americans and setting up production here. That right. could have been fixed another way. You know, um, it and did- that was a bipartisan thing. Yeah. That was back when Clinton but was ne- president. Yeah, neither. Yeah, but neither party wants to address that because all their lobbying dollars um, that they 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 get reelected on uh, it comes with the string attached that says, "Oh, we don't want you to raise our our our, our labor costs." So there's no real discussion about that, and America is pretty illiterate as far as you know, the real fix to the underlying problems. And yet, you know, worker productivity is up some crazy high amount, like 30%, and yet they, they, they get paid the same amount. Yeah. You know, the, the minimum wage is still $7 or, right, 25 cents or something ridiculous. You can't live anywhere in the United States on that, work on minimum wage. Right. So people hold two jobs now to get, and then they look, they turn around and they say unemployment is so low because, look, we have, you know, 75 million people employed, and there's 75 million jobs. But, you know, it doesn't work that way, does it? Because a lot of those 75 million people are working two jobs. Yeah. And then many hundreds, tens of millions of those people stop looking for work at all. They're not even counted anymore. Yeah. So the statistics are completely manipulated, and yet Wall Street acts like this is one of, this shows a really strong economy. No, the 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 the, the um, top. This is a big Trump, uh, uh, you know, accomplishment. Yeah, this low unemployment and this complete farce. Am I wrong? No, oh, no. The participation rate is at a forty-year low right now. Now they make a big deal every time it moves up. It swiggles up point one uh, percentage point, but it hasn't really moved off the bottom at all from uh, the bottom of two thousand and ten. So, um, so of the remaining that are in the la- what's deemed in- participating in the labor market we have 3.8% unemployment but the participation rate is at a 40% 40 year low so it i mean it and um so yes all the data is manipulated 
The economy. Now, what about the GDP numbers? Because they keep saying the GDP numbers are, are really amazing quarter after quarter. 2.2%, uh, 2.6%. We have a 5 percentage point budget deficit. Our government is spending 5 percentage points more than they're taking in in receipts. That's the only reason we have a 3% GDP right now, or 25 which is probably... Right, because but, government spending is part of the GDP. We'd be in it's a... a major factor. Government, we, GDP. We would be in a massive de- recession already if we didn't have this 5% deficit. And that 5% deficit is going to go to a 10% deficit at the bottom of the recession. And, and why don't and, the pundits point this out? Why do they always act like the GDP because numbers? Because they, they're they're all employed at the by uh, companies that uh, I mean, CNN is owned by Time Warner, right? Uh, Fox News by uh, Murdoch. You know, these are all large corporations. They want to preach everything is great. And American workers never had it so good. They, you know, they like to have low taxes. They want their profit margins as high as possible. They want to employ the lowest cost labor, whether it. They can get that overseas or have some bunch of Indians brought here that will work twice as hard for half as much. You know, um, that's uh, – How do the tax cuts help the United States? It helps a very small segment that get ta- gets taxed at the pass-through rate. Uh, so there's a – if uh, it, it, it's, it works for the rich. Now, the most egregious thing of what Donald Trump did, in my opinion, is he cut taxes on people non-managed. Say, if I had a partner, my partner was just a money guy. He owned half my business, right? and he didn't work at it at all. Right. He would be taxed at a preferential 20% on half the earnings, and I would be taxed on my earnings at the you know, whatever the marginal rate would be in the high rate, it would be 44%. So the treating labor income at a disadvantage to passive income right. is blatant. Protecting rich people. It's, it's favoritism, and it should be the other way around. You right. should encourage people to work. It You should flip those two rates. Yeah. The 44% rate should be on the guy that that's getting the passive income, you know? Yeah, and... Um... The trickle-down theory is not true either. I mean, no. the top 60 companies don't pay any tax at all. How is that possible that, like, Amazon and, you know, Walmart don't pay taxes? Well, How is it possible that that's... there's the provisions in the tax code allows for accelerated depreciation and a whole bunch of other gimmicks. Um, so you just you just... You know, may create expenses, and then uh, and this gets back to what you're saying before, which is this kind of incentive can keep very poorly run companies operating forever. Yes, because they they don't you know they have no cost. Yeah, overhead. and then you end up with an economy like Japan has right now. You know, and when is the bottom going to fall out of this? When are the when is the when are the poorly run WalMarts going to? Oh, when the stock market collapses, that's the signal. Screwed. That's the signal to everybody that wait, we got a what's going on here. You know, and it's all about uh, American uh, world optimism. It's not just Americans that invest in our market. A lot of people all over the world invest in the market, right? So it's uh, uh, worldwide optimism. Yeah, based on what? Hurting. Well, what's it based on? Well, when you talk about the rest of the world, you you have to understand that most of the money is aggregated. You know, is held by these really rich. 
people like the who's like that Saudi the Saudi family. Yes. So they're getting visited by like Goldman Sachs and a whole host of other companies, uh, you know, investment firms where they, you know, like, you know, Elon Musk might go to them for capital infusion for for Tesla and they do a song and pony dance to these guys and these guys are idiots you know they're you know he who the hell knows if this saudi prince even knows how to read and do arithmetic you know what i mean uh these rich kids don't seem to have to have to you know achieve anything for to to acquire the positions that are born into these positions so they're not very they're not very bright they're making you know they're taking the sovereign wealth funds uh and you know and putting at risk in you know well, they with just Goldman Sachs more oil so then there's, there's no never any supply of oil and people are going to want oil so they don't have to worry about it they just spend at crazy right i mean my son and they built the stupid LA, cities down in you know in the desert you know what i mean it's, oh yeah some big cities and big high rises but my my son uh, was working briefly uh, for a Saudi family in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, first of all, it was like you know in Beverly Hills, it was like you know twenty five, thirty five million dollar mansion, all the whistles. Were, but he but he said what really drove him crazy was uh, the waste. There was such a tremendous amount of waste, like you know that they would uh, set down up at this elaborate, elaborate breakfast, and put it out by the pool every day. And, you know, there's only, like, 10 people living there, and they would put enough food for, like, 100 people out, and all fresh fruits and vegetables, right. whatever, and nobody touched it. Yeah. And then they'd throw it out. Every day they do that. Every morning. And he said, this is just one example of, you know, he says that the guy had, you know, 25, 30 cars. So if he crashed a car, it didn't matter. He'd just crash it. You know, he'd take his car out, his Ferrari out, and drive it 200 miles an hour, wrap it around a tree, whatever, and, he, and just walk away, you know, and just, okay, I got 24 yeah. other cars. He said that the, the attitude of the people who were born into these situations is so irresponsible. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like money is nothing to them. Yeah. And they don't even fix like something like that breakfast. They don't, yeah. you know, and yet he says they're very cheap to work for. They don't, they're not generous. Right. But, um, you know, he says, God forbid that, uh, I would, you know, grab like a, uh, a string of grapes that they're going to throw out because you know I'm not allowed <laughs> to take anything home. You know? Of course. Yeah. So, they want absolute ob- ob- obedience to their rules, you know. <laughs> it's a mind blower. It is. Um, so your prediction for the future, because we are running low on time. We've got a few minutes left. Um, what's your prediction for the market? It's going to jump to 30, 31,000. The dark window is going to happen. And then no, it's going to crash no, down no. to 3,500. What's the deal? Anything is possible right now. Uh, but the... The market is like sort of fractured right now, and you see this with divergences. The small cap index, um, you know, it did not it did not make a, a, a third peak here. It withered about halfway up. New York Stock Exchange. I thought we we're at the fourth peak already. We already had three. Yeah, it went up, and then it came back a little bit, and now it's zig, you know, trying to come back up. But even that momentum is withering away. So right now we have no m- momentum. This is sort of like this could be the Wiley Coyote moment where he's he's over the there's dust underneath his feet, and he that's runs it. Out, and there's no land left, and he's got a big canyon under him. So if and then he looks down. So when we're definitely going to have a turn here. If that turn is not just a, a trading cycle turn, but if it also becomes what I, you know, what we're waiting for is the intermediate turn. Oh, you know, you had the, the December twenty sixth bottom. We peak up, and now we have that intermediate peak, and we then 
will we'll be testing that December 26 low. And the test of that 26 low is going to be like a hyena being chased by a hungry pack of lions that haven't eaten in two weeks. So it's going to go down Meaning at a, what? A quick, a quick move, very fast down. Which is what around twenty two thousand. Uh, I actually think it's going to go down on the Dow, probably down to twenty point five. It would be sort of uh, a symmetrical version. If you look at this as an expanding triangle, that would be the the down the before that's, we get a down. like a thirty percent drop. Yeah, it's about almost 7,000, 6,500 points on 26, yeah, 25, 28. Yeah. And that's uh, that's what we have next in that's store. F- 15% is considered correction. Now, when— 30% is considered what? No, don't even use—that's the media's making this <laughs> that's stuff. The media. That's what the, the media media's says. making this stuff up. Yeah. You know? um, now, you have progress and regress, and the upward progress is a bull market if you keep making higher highs and higher lows, and a bear market is lower highs and lower lows. So um, that's what we're doing here, and we haven't had any higher highs yet. We had the September 21 peak only 0.57 percentage points higher than the January 26, 2018. There is no, we don't have we haven't produced a higher high yet. No one should be bullish right now. Everyone should be scared out of their, out of their wits because, you know, um, everything is falling apart already. But it's been like this for years, Ron. Oh, it's getting really bad now. I know, but it was bad. It was bad when Trump took office. We've made no net progress on any of the indices um, I think for this is 18 why months. Pundits say it, this could go on forever. No, it never because goes on forever. I, but they, all, but you know what they say? They're saying this is a new ball game. Of course, they this say is a new that. ball game. Like uh, debt, debt doesn't matter anymore. You know. Yeah. And and you know it, it seems to be proven out in the short term. It seems to be true, because you and I, I, mean, I thought the market was going to crash in twenty seventeen. Uh, you know what I mean? Because there's no there's no there there, and and yet it. Jumped another 40%. Same thing happened in 1929. Things started looking awful in 1928. And Charles Babson, he was the founder of Standard Statistics, which became part of Standard & Poor's. He's one of two people that became part of the original Standard & Poor's. He said that there was going to be a crash and it's going to be of a magnitude that no one could uh, imagine. They all laughed at him in 1928. And then the uh, most prestigious, well-known economist at that time, Irving Fisher, said two weeks before this, the 1929 stock market crashed that, that the market had reached a permanently high plateau. And those are the worst uttered, and except for Bernanke saying that subprime was contained, that goes down in history as the worst statement of any. I mean, he was the god. He was the most it, incorrect statement ever yeah, made. Right at the worst possible moment. Wow. Okay. Well, we are out of here, my friend. Show's over. We're gonna do another show in a couple of weeks. Right? Sounds good. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going backpacking next week, uh, camping, and then come back. We'll do another one. 
And uh, who if you, knows what and, the market is doing in two weeks? And if you um, have the urge to reach out to me, feel free. You call me up at 917-696-7131. And my email is ron at clearwaterinvest.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Okay. We'll see you.